right, welcome to episode 35 of the At Bat Podcast presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez. I am joined by my war colleagues, Chris Pennant and Gabe Wilkins. How are we doing today, guys? How are we doing, Gabe? Can't complain, man. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm four for four thus far. Uh, <laughs> our free agency special, so. And without any sources, might I add. So uh, just following <laughs> the moves and following the business, a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss, for sure. <laughs> uh, I can complain. I can complain about a lot of things, but I won't. It's not, it doesn't even have to do with baseball. And I'm just a... I'm just a curmudgeonly dude, but it's different. <laughs> no, I, I feel that. that uh, wild times we live in. This. But, and not, not, not only that, not, not only just the real world, but, I mean, with all this baseball stuff that's going on, I don't even know what to think. I mean, you know, coming off, you know, before we started recording, I was just talking about how, um, you know, waking up to the judge news, which we'll get into, is, is nice. But then, you know, just seeing the Wilson stuff. And as much as, you know, Gabe said, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's true. I saw it coming, but um, it was just like, you know, once I saw, you know, those – Wilson reaches deal with Cardinals things that became a reality, but we'll talk about the positives first before we get into that. Uh, but uh, just oh, before we get into specific deals, though, uh, whatever, what is you know your guys' thoughts been overall just on the market, like in, in the sense of uh, like, is it been more surprising or has it been kind of like what you what you guys expected? I know it, it probably is as was what you expected for uh, Gabe because Gabe over here is like uh, <laughs> you know three for three, four for four, or whatever, right? I mean, we'll start with you, Gabe, like. Overall, it's it's basically you know coming to fruition, right? It's coming to fruition. I mean, is people expected and as people have been reporting, but at the same time, it's coming together rather slowly. But I mm. think now, with the biggest domino having fall fallen rather prior to us recording this episode, we're now going to start seeing a lot of these shortstops start to make decisions as to when and where they're going to sign. What about you, Chris? What, what, what have you thought so far? Just on the on the, the free agency dominoes thus far? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a tale of two cities with the Giants having been involved in those Aaron Judge talks and uh, just the, the moves that they've been making so, thus far. And it's, it's a... Unfortunate. It's a lousy comparison. I was going to say unfortunate, but that's that's too that's too average to put it. It's a lousy when you compare it to um, Oakland and them shopping Sean Murphy and everything that you know the A's are going through and the possibility of moving. And you know it's not necessarily directly correlated to free agency, right? But the Giants won those World Series and they're trying to get their stock back up. And it it really I think it sucks worse for A's fans just seeing that happen across the bay. Uh, but I don't know what, you, what else you can really do. That's true. That is true. And I mean, I, it, well, the best thing the A's could do probably besides like a signing or something is probably just move to Vegas at this point. But I think so. Well, that's what it looks like it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So looking we'll like see, a done deal at this point because it's evident that Oakland or the city of Oakland and its officials don't really want to take a chance and spend taxpayer money on building mm-hmm. a new stadium. And even if it's privately funded, it seems like they just have no interest in being a sports town anymore. And it's really unfortunate because you had the Warriors there who started their run of dominance in the NBA present. And you had Oakland there and the Raiders, and they've all won championships within that little Metroplex area that they play in. 
And now you're not going to have a single team present anymore. Yeah, it, it was it, like, yeah, I mean, and, and also coming from like, and I think it's just because like, you know, growing up with like the money, like the, well, the money ball teams, I guess. And, and also just in the sense of, uh, A's actually had a, a good amount of success in like the last like 20 years when it comes to like playoff appearances, not, not world series wins as much as they've had before. Right. But yeah, when you really think about it with uh, how they, you know, with the budget they've had and, and all that stuff or not budget, like how much money they would spend is like that. It's kind of, um, remarkable, the type of success they've had, but then they just like all the, all the low years are kind of like the the reason why they shouldn't be there type thing. It's always like, Oh, they, you know, this remove and no fans go and all that stuff. But, um, I'll definitely miss, I'll definitely miss, uh, the Oakland athletics baseball in, in the future. Once they're in Vegas, I'll be like, I reminisce and stuff, but, uh, but anyways, we'll talk about, uh, plenty of other teams like the giants as, as you know, as uh, Chris mentioned and all that. Uh, but first we'll start with the local. So, uh, you know, the Cubs, uh, have been, you know, pretty active so far um, when it comes to uh, si- signings. Uh, you know, they they signed uh, Cody Bellinger, uh, Jamison Tyone last night. Um, and uh, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but Miles uh, couldn't be with us today, uh, but he's going to uh, chime in, uh, you know, via voice memo. So we'll, we'll, we'll you know, you'll hear his take uh, after after mine. But yo, 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 what's going on at Bat Podcast? Saul, my guy. I'm sorry I could not be there. Oh, I had to go to the DMV. Of course I did. But, wow. Let's, let, let's just jump into it. But before I get to that point, thank you for all the very, very kind, kind birthday wishes. I truly appreciate it. I love this show. You know, very blessed to see Chapter 26. And, uh, you know, looking forward to the future. So let's just get into it. Really, with the Cubs, I'll, I'll go first with the Cubs. Um, really happy with these deals. Um, I know a lot of, like, talking to a lot of Cubs fans, over the last uh, 24 hours, 48 hours, like they're just, they, they, they don't one for the, for the most part, uh, didn't really understand the Bellinger deal. Like I actually came across a few Cubs fans that were like, really, is this a deal that, you know, like, and I'm like, w- w- I don't get what's, what's the problem with the deal. Cause I'm like, for the way I thought, the way I see it is obviously as most people have, have looked at it, have deemed it as low risk, high reward, right? It's you're, you're trying, you know, and some people thought they, some people, I actually saw also a lot of people on Twitter saying the Cubs overpaid. They were like seven, 17 and a half mil for this guy, whatever. But it's like, he's a former MVP. It's, 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 it's great defense. That's probably why it got the boost that it did for the money. And it's just, it, it, it is what it is. When you've won awards, you're going to get money um, probably more, more than what people think you deserve and all that. Uh, but I think uh, in general, it's a great signing because he plays outfield and first baseman, first base, and his defense is great. Yeah, if wor- worse comes to worse, he's just a great defensive player, and he wins games like that for us, you know. So um, I don't, uh, to be honest, I'm not very optimistic on the bat. Uh, I know a lot of people are hoping that he becomes, or he not 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 goes back to MVP Bellinger, but that but that he at least finds a little more success on the offensive end. I don't think, I don't know, I I don't see it because. I, I, I watched a lot of uh, Dodger baseball. I just watched a lot of Dodger baseball and me staying up late. I'm always watching, you know, that nine o'clock game and I just watching him, man, he just always seems, just seems lost the last couple of years. And, and a lot of people think it might be, it might've been the injury he suffered in 2020, you know, with the shoulder and all that, but I, I don't know. I, 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 I did. And I also, I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath for, you know, a great offensive season from Cody Bellinger, but the defense that he, the defense that he, um, you know, has is, is going to be huge for us. And especially him playing center field, playing first base, uh, being a lefty bat. I mean, we'll, you know, anything he does offensive, you know, on the offensive end might be a plus, but we'll, we'll see what happens there 
to be honest, I think I'm more excited about the Jamison Tyone signing uh, because of what I've seen him become, you know, like in New York, he had one, you know, one year where he had, I think like 433 ERA. It was a little, little rough, but then, you know, last year he kind of came in, into his own a little bit and was able to, you know, uh, have a solid year. And, uh, you know, with him you know, having a low walk rate and all that, like, I just think he's going to be a great fit for the Cubs. And I think that ultimately if we were, you know, this, you know, this rotation still needs something. Um, but when, if like, say, you know, I don't, I, and as of right now, I don't think we're going to get Rodon or anything, but like, if, if the Cubs were to go out there and get like a Rodon type pitcher, you know, having a tie on is like a three, like, that's like awesome. So, um, I think that the Cubs are doing a great job right now in, in, in getting these deals and getting the guys that they need. Uh, and, and it's ultimately like Tyone, obviously you look at this guy and, and again, I've had a couple people being like, they don't, they don't know much about him, which doesn't make any sense because they're on the Yankees. Uh, but like, they like, I'm like that type of, I always thought that Tyone was going to be like an ACE when he was on the pirates. He had like the, that makeup of like being an ACE. But I think as of right now, he's probably the best he can be as a two, which I'm, which I'm not going to complain about. Um, but yeah, other than that, first, before we get into like the ifs, because I want to, I do want to talk about like, you know, people have been talking about, oh, we might get, you know, Bogarts and Swanson and like Correa, like this, like all that stuff, like with them. But I want to give you guys this take on, on the deals in general. Like, uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What did you think about these, this, the Bellinger deal and the tie on deal? Our guy, Gene, uh, Eugene McIntosh, it's the bigs. I saw he posted on Facebook. He was a fan of it. I mean, it's a, it's a proving deal. Yeah, I know the $17 yeah. million dollars might jump out, but I think this is what Gabe and you and I were discussing last night, just in mm -hmm. in how the public's understanding of how much that dollar amount really is hasn't really changed because regular people, we see a million dollars, we still think, oh, it's a million dollars, it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But uh, $17 million now and $17 million when we started watching baseball, is just, it's got to be. It's wildly different now. Mm -hmm. Not only are we going through a period of inflation, We've gone through a devaluation of the dollar just over the last 20 years that just can't be ignored. So don't think about the contract. Think about exactly what you said. He is a guy who's versatile. He can play a number of positions, even if he's mainly playing um, center field and DH now in the, in the new area of universal DH. And pretty much anything, like you said, anything that he gets you with the bat is a plus. It still is kind of mind-boggling to me that he dipped so far down after those first three seasons because you figure three seasons in, if a guy is hitting like that after the season, his rookie season, you, you won rookie of the year. Mm -hmm. It's not that the league figured him out. It's just something happened. Something changed. And so if you can get a Cody Bellinger that hits 250 and, you know, an uh, OPS of somewhere close to 800, then it's worth it. And he gets to his next contract. If you want to resign him or he goes somewhere else and he, and he makes good. Otherwise, this is the Ricketts. $17 million really should be a drop in the bucket for them. So I don't think any Cubs fan should be unhappy with that contract laying out. The tie-on deal, I'm a little, I think I'm the opposite. I'm a little more unsure just because, unfortunately, he's got the injury-prone label. It's not his fault. He's a, a top-of-the-line pitcher when he's healthy. And in a band box like New York, he showed up. He really showed up for them when he was healthy. So if he can pitch half, 75% of that in Wrigley, where you're going to have the spring that's going to be friendly to pitchers, and you're going to have those days where the wind's blowing in, it's still going to be friendly to pitchers, especially strikeout ground ball pitchers. It'll, it'll work. I'm just, can he stay healthy 
for 60% of the, that five-year deal? I have no issues with the moves in which the Cubs made. With Bellinger, yeah, it's a prove-it deal. One year, $17.5 million. And it's a one-year deal. Even if it was a $20 million deal, it's a one-year deal. And you're not attached to him for a long period of time. And depending on where the team may be in the standings, if he proves to play at an all-star level, he could help the Cubs net back some prospects in return, potentially, for teams that will be hungry and aggressive when it comes to trying to add a left-handed back, a power back when he's on and healthy. So you don't really have to stay attached to him throughout the course of the season if he's playing at an all-star level and depending on where the Cubs may be. Because while the Cubs are in the midst of a a retooling period, I would call it, not necessarily a full-on rebuild, but a retooling period, they can tinker with their roster and experiment with their roster and take these one-year gambles in ways that other teams might not be able to have championship aspirations and must figure out a way to maximize their dollars to the best extent possible. With that said, in regards to the Italian situation, I have no issue with that contract. Yes, his health is a, is a red flag and a, and a pause for concern. But at the same time, he's been a guy who typically keeps his walk ratio low. He is a guy that pitches the contact, but not too much of power contact. And they needed someone that could take innings in some capacity. Like Cal Hendricks is under contract for another year. And he'd have a rotation spot if he was healthy, but he's rehabbing from a capsule tear in his throwing shoulder. Justin Steele just earned a rotation spot with a solid rookie campaign. But at the same time, like Marcus Stroman can opt out at the end of next season. You need a guy who can serve in the middle of your starting rotation and give you innings. And that's what he can do when he's healthy. He does that. I don't have a problem with this deal at all. And I think he's a piece that can really help this starting group, which really has mostly young arms in the mix. And guys are going to really be jockeying for those fourth and fifth starter positions with Hendricks being out for who knows how long. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and, uh, and you know, as I said, Miles is in here. So we'll, we'll see what he has to say about these deals right now. So let's talk Cubs signings real quick. You know, I'm going to start with uh, Jamison Tyone. Um, I really, really like this signing. I think he adds really good depth, um, you know, to this to this rotation, kind of like what I've talked about in the past with the Cubs. Um, you know, they kind of need that veteran leadership. You could definitely kind of put him in the veteran category now. He's had some uh, – he's, he's definitely put, put some years under his belt now, six years in the MLB, had some successful years with the Yankees, I think especially in 2022 – um, really, really like this signing. I think he's going to add a tremendous depth to that rotation and really eat up innings, um, you know, and kind of, you know, set up the bullpen really well. I could definitely see him in many starts going six or seven um, and whatever the case may be, he's going to give us a quality start. Uh, so I'm really a big fan of this signing. I think he's going to be a tremendous asset to the Chicago Cubs ball club. Um, and that's just another piece that they add in, in terms of wanting to compete next year. Um 
you know, there's a lot of young arms, and we saw that at the end of last year in terms of, you know, how young this team is and, and how good we, we can really be. So this is a great signing. I'm a huge fan of it, and I really like uh, where the Cubs are going in terms of pitching. So moving on to Cody Bellinger, I think this is a win-win signing. One year, $17.5 million, that's great. We all know the potential of who Cody Bellinger can be. He's proven himself in the past, former MVP. Uh, I really think he's going to fit well at Wrigley. I really do. I think he's going to respond well to the fan base. It is going to be weird to see him in, in any other jersey but uh, but a Dodgers jersey. But this is a really, really cool low-risk signing. You know, um, I've seen a few people kind of kind of allude to, to Clint Frazier. This isn't the same thing as Clint Frazier because Cody Bellinger has proven who he is in the past. His physical ability as a baseball player has not gone down. And when I say that, he still hits the ball very hard. He still has a very strong arm in the outfield. Um, it's just a matter of that consistency and finding that barrel. Um, that, that has been one of the things that has, that has, you know, hindered Cody Bellinger's career to this point. A lot of swings and swings and misses. Um, but you know what? I think, I think there's always that second chance. There's always that redemption arc. This can go really, really well. And, hey, let's say that it does go well for the Cubs and Cody Bellinger. I don't see a reason to not bring him back to the next year. Uh, he's only 27 years old. So, you know, very low risk. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, that's okay too. But this is a good, this is a good piece to add in terms of, you know, creating more of a competitive edge for next year as well because defensively he is a wizard. And so I could definitely see him in, in, in center field. Uh, you know, I think David Ross made it very clear that the corner outfields are pretty much a deadlock. But, you know, you can also poke Hap uh, in center field. You can, you can move Suzuki around a little bit if you wanted to. But Bellinger in center field is where he strives. I think the outfield is pretty much on lock. I think there's a lot of upside with this. So I'm a very big fan of this signing by the Cubs. Yeah, no, you, and uh, you guys make some great points. You know, you, uh, Chris, uh, and Gabe, and Miles, and – and the thing is with uh, with Tyone too. I mean, you guys are right with the, with the injury bug. He, he, you know, there's been a couple seasons where he, you know, he's gotten you know bitten by it, you know, pretty majorly. But I, I'm hope hopefully he's able to do what he did in the last two seasons, which was at least make 29 starts. So I mean, that's all that's all I'm hoping for. But um, yeah, I think that uh, this is like this is a deal that I think if the Cubs don't sign, like, don't get a major pitcher in the next year or so. Um, this deal looks, I guess, I don't know how to explain it. It looks less sexy, but I, cause I think it looks sexier with like a, with like a top of the line starter, because I think Tyone is like, like if he went to a three, for example, like having Tyone as a three would be great. Like I said, so I don't know what we'll, we'll see. Cause I'm, I'm just interested to see where they're going with this, like, um, with these deals that they've made, because it seems like a, like, um, a little bit, not necessarily, not necessarily tiptoe cause 68 million is not tip tiptoeing, but it's like, uh. I feel like it's leading to something, hopefully, but I, I don't know what it is. What I will say, though, is that what people think it's this, like these deals are leading to is to getting a shortstop. And this whole week has just been, uh, you know, Cubs interested in Bogarts, Cubs interested in Swanson, Cubs interested in Correa. And just like they met with this guy, this guy, this guy. Um, and even to one point where they were saying that, oh, the Cubs could get Bogarts and Swanson. And, uh, I, you know, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that because, um, well, one, I, I don't think that would happen, but, uh, still, um, it would be really nice to come out of this week with a shortstop. Uh, and I think what all signs, all signs really at this point with the way the market's going, the way things are going point to Swanson as being the Cubs, um, 
you know, the most likely uh, candidate for the Cubs because apparently that you know that the, the their main guy is Correa that they're going for, but it just it probably is not gonna not gonna happen because of the money, especially after the Trey Turner deal, especially um with the fact that you know Aaron Judge uh, officially signed with the the Yankees. I just saw I just saw Jeff Passan was on a podcast I think in the last couple of weeks, and he said if the Giants don't sign Aaron Judge, they're gonna have to pivot to someone else. Meaning it's probably going to be Correa, and they're going to, you know, give give him anything he wants in that in that you know respect. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens there. But wanted to get your guys' opinions. We'll start with you this time, Gabe. Uh, what what have you thought about just the murmurs, the the rumors, and all that with the Cubs in the shortstop game? If they were able to get to, that would be a hell of a power yeah. move. Mm-hmm. And I sure as hell will want to know how they did it because trying to convince a shortstop and Bogarts to move to third base, even though it's a position in which he's familiar with and he's played. He hasn't played that position since 2014, if I'm correct, on a consistent basis. With that said, when you typically ask a guy to switch positions, you're going to have to compensate him more money. So I don't see how you can get both of them, especially when both of them play the same position. And I don't see Bogart switching positions unless if the Cubs give him an incentive to or any team for that matter because if that's the case then another Chicago team might need to get in the sweet states for Xander Bogarts and I think we all know who that is but staying Cubs focused and Cubs centered I could see Dansby Swanson coming here his wife plays for the Red Stars that's something to keep in mind mm-hmm. and with that said a lot of these guys don't always make decisions based off of money, as we know. Seeing what Trey Turner was offered by the Padres, seeing what Aaron Judge was offered by the Padres. They received their highest bids by, from the San Diego Padres, and yet they turned it down to remain on the East Coast and on, with, on Judge part, and then Turner deciding to go back to the East Coast of Philly. So with that said, I I just think that they could get one of those two guys, but I don't see both of them coming here. And I believe that Dansby Swanson, while he might see an increase in the the money that he's offered total, I don't think it'll be that much. And he probably will likely be the cheaper option because Bogarts is not making it any secret that he wants years on his deal. And I think he's looking for a deal that secure himself in the long term with him approaching his 30s and being in his early 30s as we speak. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you're looking at the just looking at the the salary that both guys made, I think in the last couple of years, Xander Bogart's made way more than Dansby Swanson. And I know he's coming off of his um, initial contract or, or rookie extension, what have you, but Xander Bogarts is just still going to command more money, I think, having played at that level for that many years in a, in a big market city or with a big market team, I should say, like the Red Sox. You know, not to downplay uh, how good Dansby Swanson's been for the Braves in the past, but there's no way that I can see you moving Swanson to a new position at this point in his career when he's only ever played in the six hole. It's more feasible for Bogarts, but 
why move him from shortstop? It would be more, it would make more sense to keep that guy in his position, not the, the position that he's played, like Gabe said, for that many years, with the offensive and defensive stats that he's got and move Swanson somewhere else, but you can't really do that when he's only played shortstop. So getting one guy is fine. Swanson's the cheaper option, and he will be better than Nico. He would be better than Nico Horner, even if he's not a marquee type player. I don't know if he would be the a face of the franchise type guy, but he would be very, very good for that. Bogarts would be a face of the franchise type guy. So it just depends on what you're looking for and where you're looking for it. But to add to your point on oh, yeah, that, Chris, you say face of the franchise. I feel like whoever they sign is shortstop. As long as they got all-star appearances by their name and they won, which both of these guys have done, I feel like they automatically become the face of the franchise, especially with Wilson Contreras no longer intact and Cal Hendricks being the guy whose future and uncertainty is unknown. They're going to automatically be thrusting into that role. So yes, of course, I would have questions as to whether or not Kansas Swanson can handle that. But if they sign him, it remains to be seen. Let, let me say, let me let me say this. I think if you're talking about a face of the franchise, you can have a face of the franchise for a team that's average, and you can have a face of the franchise for a team that's very good. Mm-hmm. And I think having Dansby Swanson as your number one guy. That's going to be kind of like what we talked about, the Mattingly Yankees, where they're very good, but they, they might get close, but not really get there. They might, have, they might make the playoffs. They might win a series and get to the championship series, but they're not going to be, I think, at the same level if you have Xander Bogarts leading your team in, in that sense. That, that's what I mean on that. I get what you were saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, and, and and what you guys make some good points because I have seen that people talk about it that way in in the sense with uh, Swanson, like like I've seen people talk about oh if they get Swanson they still they're still going to need another bat like another big bat right because Swanson he's good and 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 he's clutch because it's one thing I, I was going to say I like about him is he's clutch I mean he's done it in October, um and I, that you know says a lot about a player, um but. When it comes, you know, I, I was also going to say with about Bo- Bogarts, though, is that um, I actually just got a tweet also that saying that uh, that the Red Sox and Bogarts are, are, you know, they're getting momentum. So uh, that Bogarts wow. might be coming off the table soon. And, and, and I did hear I was going to say I did hear a little bit so about how the it was the Cubs be, were just like a leverage piece. They were kind of like just like, a, um, uh, you know, just they were being used basically as like a, to up the price, I guess. Um and it kind of makes sense now looking at looking at it, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think uh, obviously, if I had to pick now, if let's let's say let's say Bogart stopped the table, if I had to pick, I'm I'm gonna pick Correa, obviously, right? But Swanson uh, would be a nice, I guess, consolation prize, right? Um, and I think that yeah, any of these guys are probably gonna be able to you know play shortstop unless yeah, if there was if they got Bogarts and Swanson. And they put, you know, Bogarts at, at third or whatever. And then, like, you know, Swanson at shortstop. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd be okay with that. But, yeah, I think ultimately Bogarts is going to be a DH, I think, in a few years, a couple years maybe. So, I, I that's another thing, too, that I thought would have, you know, benefited the Cubs if, you know, they were ended up ended up getting him. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen anymore. But, uh, yeah, I think with, like, uh, with 
in general with the shortstop market, it's it's been. I think I thought it was going to go faster once they got Turner, you know, once or once people got or you know once Phillies got Turner. Um, but it's just kind of, uh, it's it's kind of like plateaued almost. Yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens there. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen with the Cubs and and with the shortstop game and all that. But uh, for now, uh, we'll put that to the side and uh, move over to the White Sox. Which, uh, to be honest, man, I you know keep th- you know keep talking to my Sox fan friends here and and just being like, what's going on? Because nothing's happening. And I we get it. We're not you guys. I mean, the Sox aren't necessarily you know gunning for any of these signings or anything like that. But the trade market they could be very involved in and it this is you know does doesn't or hasn't seen like anything is imminent um i've heard talks with liam hendrix like you know that liam hendrix might be on the market i've heard even something about you know giolito maybe you know if if they if, like considering moving him um which i wanted to get you guys opinion if you guys would be down with that because i feel like that'd be a very interesting move in a lot of ways that you could go about it uh but overall besides the deals that could happen what have you guys thought about the white Sox being stagnant at the moment we'll start with you chris are for the, I mean, I'm trying to dial it back, but it's pretty much par for the course, and nobody is not unexpected. Just it just mm-hmm. isn't unexpected. The last really big White Sox signing, uh, I think honestly was probably Liam Hendricks or or um, just Monty Grandal, but really thinking mm-hmm. about when the White Sox broke open the bank, that in a way the Sox fans were like oh, this guy was out there and we actually got him, was when they got Jose Abreu out of the international market when, when he signed that $60-plus million multi-year deal. It's, it's, it's annoying because we, I don't think anybody was surprised that the big-name free agents came off the market. Even though I came on here a couple of weeks ago and said the White Sox should go after Aaron Judge, they have a hole that he could fill ridiculously well. And even in any amount of money, as much as as much as we talked last night, I was just coming from it from the from the standpoint of, you know, why are these deals coming up now when I thought that it was, you know, kind of looked upon badly then. But Aaron Judge is a guy that in any amount of money, if he stays healthy and produces it, 60% of what he did in New York is a guy that is going to pay dividends for you, no matter what. He will put butts in the seats and you will make your money back. Now they're stuck still with the same hole in right field, depending on how Oscar Colas does, uh, how he comes up, and they still have a spot in the outfield because, like we said, uh, Eloy Jimenez should be a DH from now on. And they've lost Jose Apreu. So you have to have somebody to pair with. This is Tim Anderson's team going forward. You have to have somebody to add to the lineup depending on how guys come back you you can't i don't think you can hold with what you've got guys were hurt last year sure but the way that the team has gone they've they've gotten hurt in the past so you have to assume that they're going to be hurt in the future which means you can't count on a full season from luis robert and Loy jimenez even tim anderson now so guys are going off the market and it you know having only signed mike clevenger it doesn't feel like they think that last year was anything but an aberration, which is a pretty stupid way to go about it. I'm going to put it to you like this. I don't think that there's a safe player on this roster by any stretch of the imagination. However, you better be damn careful about who you trade. And if you do trade them, 
you can't really afford to trade them for pennies on the dollar. In my opinion, there are only two guys on this roster that they can trade in an effort to acquire steady outfielder in one of the outfield corners, be it left or right, because while Oscar Colas is the guy who will likely be the starting outfielder in right, we don't know whether or not he's going to be up here by opening day or by the 1st of June. We just know that he's coming. So with that said, you need to have a fourth outfielder. And that fourth outfielder better sure as hell be capable of playing every single day. Not only in the field, but productive with his back. With that said, if you're trading somebody, who are you trading? You trade Eloy Jimenez. That's a guy who could easily, if healthy, be the guy that hits 40 bombs. And Sox fans be like, well, how do we trade him? Luis Robert, if you trade Luis Robert, he could be a guy who's top five MVP vote. I never, ever expected for the White Sox to just trade away pieces of their core. Yes, it's unfortunate that you can't really go after big signings or, or, or big-time guys like Wilson Contreras because you have Asmani Grandal locked in. That would have been a guy who, in previous years, if he had hit the market a little bit earlier, would have been priority number one. I, I, the way I look at it is Rick put himself in a corner last year by not solidifying the needs in the outfield corners and at second base. I think we all know now that Eloy Jimenez, by default, is the team's designated hitter. The only question is, is who's playing in left field every day? And who's playing in right field or platooning in right field with Oscar Colas. And because of these problems is why I think you have a bitter fan base that wants to look back and say, well, this is why you spend on a Bryce Harper. It makes sense. Or this is why you should have spent on a guy like Aaron Judge. But let's think about the history of this organization. We've never known this organization to give out a hundred million. So you're realistically expecting them to give up close to $400 million for one of the game's top stars? I understand the frustration. I truly do. But at the same time, I believe that Sox fans need to keep in mind, yes, in spite of an injury-prone roster, every season in baseball is different. Baseball is a cold game. You could be in the middle of the pack. You could be in last place one year and catapult up. You just got to hope and believe that guys come back to Glendale and Camelback Ranch with something to prove. And that Rick Hahn, sooner rather than later, finds a deal that helps this team, not only in the short term, but beyond. Because they really can't make too many moves. And then when you add that, on top of the fact that their farm system isn't really highly ranked, even though I think they have several players that can contribute within the next several months to two years. It's like, he, he's a rock and a hard place, but he put himself there. And so now he's got to figure out a way to climb up out of it. 
and not trade guys for pennies on a dollar. Because if he does, it could go from, are we playing for the Central Division or the World Series? To, oh, we got to rebuild again. Yeah, and let me let me say this. As much as I know fans are upset, and they, they, they have a right to be when – when pretty much every team outside of Oakland and Kansas City is proven that they're willing to, to put up to put up bread and maybe even Tampa Bay, maybe. I think it's it's the fans aren't GMs. We don't know what goes in the ins and outs. We can see that there are a lot of people who have been hired to be general managers over the year who didn't necessarily know what they were doing, but there are very few people online or in Twitter space or 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 even who have shows like this one who are qualified to be a general manager. That being said, I can understand the frustration, just the frustration over the team not being willing to put up the money that really qualifies to, you, you got to spend to be a contender. And it's it's not a gambling game necessarily, but you've got to risk some to reward, to, to, to get the rewards, right? So that's why, even though we know it was like a pipe dream at best, getting one of those guys who went off the board oh, last night and this morning, it's we can still be right, rightly pissed about it. And that I understand. Just, just rightly, rightfully upset, and there's nothing wrong with that. That said, Gabe, you are absolutely right, because there's nothing worse in this game than buyer's remorse, or in this case, seller's remorse. Mm-hmm. Aloy and Robert, I am not willing to trade. Is even though I talked about them, their injury history, because Aloy, we've seen what he can do when he's healthy. When he came back in 2021, I think it was, he was lighting cats up. In yeah. the end of 2020, his extra he had he had a ridiculous number of extra base hits that last those last two months of the shortened season. And I know 2020 was weird with nobody having access to video, but he's still that guy that he doesn't have to put the ball over the wall for him to make an impact in your batting lineup. Robert, same guy. And he can cover the outfield from gap to gap. We know that's, we know that's, we know that that is a known quantity. So really if you were talking about name guys, Giolito just seems to be on a kind of a downswing. And if he has a bounce back year, he has a bounce back year. But if you can get some value back for him, rather than what you did with having Carlos Rodon just walk, you get value back for him. There's a guy who can be a number three starter when he's at his best. He can be a number two. And teams can still use that guy. He's not necessarily a power pitcher either. So outside of the Tommy, I think he, he had Tommy John surgery early in his career, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when, he, yeah. When, he, when he was with the. The with the, with the was with the Nationals. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but he's not a guy who's who's getting 98, 99 on the regular, which to mm-hmm. me means he's not going to have those type of arm problems that you see from those guys necessarily. He's going to work the change up in the off speed in, in terms to, in his, to succeed. And so I think that Lucas Giolito could slide into a spot as even a ground ball pitcher, even in this day and age, who gets still six or seven strikeouts per start. So teams, I think, would go after, would be willing to go for that guy and give you something quality back in return, whether it's an everyday player or just prospects. But anything that you can get back in return for a guy like Lucas Giolito, I'm fine with that. And I say the same to add to Chris's point when it comes to Liam Hendricks. As much as I love Liam Hendricks as a player, he's one of the highest paid players on the ball club. He's a relief on 
The only time you see him is if the White Sox have a lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning or and on the road or in the top of the ninth inning at home. That's the only time you see him. At some point, they're going to have to consider killing him. And they may have to ask him, since he has a no-trade clause, which five teams would you be willing to go to? He has two years and $29 million left on his contract. Have you seen the deals that some of these top-notch closers have been getting lately? He comes for a relatively cheap price. You got a team like the Dodgers that's in need of a closer. They have prospects like Michael Bush, who's a second baseman, who can hit for power and average. Dalton mm-hmm. Russian, a catcher behind the plate. I got it. You might need, depending on the future of Yasmani Grandal, who has a big season coming up that could determine his future, not only long-term, but short-term. Is it looking like his age might be numb, not only on the South side, but his career in general, based off of the year that he had. You also have the Braves, who are in need of a closer. Juan Grissom. You know, it, it's options. It's options. You just got to play the market right. And I don't expect the White Sox to really make a big-time splash move in the middle of the winter meetings, which are taking place as we speak during this record. Yeah, and, and and you know what? Oh, what I was gonna ask you guys too is, I got a notification like maybe like I think it was yesterday or two days ago that said Tim Anderson was not gonna be traded, but was it was there rumors that he was though? Not from what I heard, not from what I yeah. heard, and, and that's why I've I, always I found it so funny. Yeah, you know that, that's how I was like, what? Like, were they considering trading them? I mean, yeah, I don't know. That wouldn't no. make any sense. That's what I, that. So that's why I was like, I don't know why. I mean, I guess maybe, unless they just said that to clear the air because there was a lot of tr- trade talks, you know, so or sorry, trade rumors. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think the Sox could go many different ways. And, and they've said, you know, they've put the Sox in with, you know, uh, considering getting Sean Murphy or or even, you know, people have said, you know, they should consider getting Jansen, you know, the or, or sorry, Jensen. I think it's Jensen, uh, Jensen or Jensen, the catcher from uh, the Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Casey, Casey Jansen. Yeah, yeah. and so, so like I, you know, they've they've put them in put them in that you know uh, category, but we'll see. I mean, they, they could go many different ways, and I think that they will. I think that the Sox will get you know some deals made that will make Sox fans happy. Um, I just think it's always it just always takes a while. Uh, see, that's <laughs> it's, how it is is real. Steve Stone is a lot of things, but he is very right. And he said that <laughs> Sox fans are never truly happy. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, a fact. Hey. until they see the on-field product, until they yeah. see the on-field yeah. product, <laughs> the and even on-field then. product does not match up to par with expectations. Thirty-fifth Street will be a hot place in the middle of a hot summer in the Windy City. I can promise you that. And yeah, I mean, hedonic. That. That's the word he used. Inability to feel pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I'm telling you. Uh, like anytime I see the Sox just doing what they're doing right now, like I can't imagine, like uh, not that the Cubs have like always like, so, you know, overspent or spent big money, but at least like for a good portion of like from that, I've been a Cubs fan in my life that they have spent a good amount of money. I just can't, I, I that would be just so frustrating, you know, to be like sitting there and being like, my team could spend this amount of money, but they just don't even try. And I don't know. I'd be, fr- I mean, it's frustrating. It's frustrating in general. But for any team, but like I feel like if I was a Sox fan, I'd be yeah I don't know. But I mean, I mean, I'm assuming for you guys, you just it's you guys just roll roll with it because you guys are already used to just the the BS that comes with it. You can't help but be used to. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. You really, you really can't at this point. Like I've been watching this ball club all my life. I'm, it's funny. It's, it'll be thirty years next year since I've really been a Sox fan. I'm really yeah. born into the organization, mm-hmm. if you if you will. So yeah. like when I when I look at it, I, I can't be too surprised. But there are days like today that make you realize, especially when you see the San Diego Padres putting all this money up, just how impactful and important a guy like Manny Machado could have been. I try not to reminisce on signings from years past, but I truly believe that if the bread was right and the deal was structured in a manner in which it wasn't so many hooplas and incentives that he had to accomplish or surpass in order to get to it, that he could have cut him. Like when you get outbid, it's one thing to get outbid by the Philadelphia Phillies or for a player to choose the Philadelphia market over Chicago market, which is what Zach Wheeler did in spite of the fact that the Sox offered him more money. But when you lose in a bidding war against the San Diego Padres and you happen to be in the third largest market in America, and in a market in which Machado visited during that winter and was seriously considering coming here, that, that's a tough blow. That's a mm-hmm. tough blow. He was the one guy I feel like that Rick Hahn truly let get away. And now he's paying for his sins in that regard. And he finds himself stuck trying to figure out what do I get true value on the trading market and who do I give up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one sucked. I think, like, Bri- Bri- I don't know. Bryce Harper was going to get the world and, and a, you know, a couple moons to go with it. And Manny Machado was going to get something close to that. But it just, it felt like a bungle. And I try to ignore, like, like Gabe said, I try to forget. I try to ignore the people who constantly talk about it. Um, and they had so much ample time to talk about it in the midst of two disappointing playoff losses. But I, I'm not a huge fan of Manny as a as a person, the way he the way he went about his day to day on the field. But put up next to Fernando Tatis, and mm, that one hurts too. He really showed himself to be a guy who can take a clubhouse and steer them in the right direction, and I was surprised by that. And that made it hurt all all the worse because he's still going to put up statistics on the field and play solidly in the field. And then he showed himself to be a guy who you could count on to right the ship. I thought those Padres teams were sunk with the Tatis injury and the way that he just screwed them over. (laughs) just The way he acted, I was surprised by that. And I thought those Padres teams were were dead in the water. It just didn't seem like something that they could regroup and come back from. And I feel like Machado just took them and said, nah, we're not going to go out like that. That's why that really sucks. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why. I mean, that's, that's – I feel – yeah, because, look, I get it. And we've, we've talked about it in the show before is that, you know, why people don't like Machado and stuff like that. But it's just it's just undeniable what type of player he is and the type of impact he can have and the type of leader he's grown into. Because as much as, like, in his Oriole days, I don't think he was a leader of that team. I was obviously, like, Adam Jones and all that. But I feel like now he's not, – I'm not going to sit here and say that he's the most mature guy out there on the field, but he has matured compared to what Machado used to be. 
I mean, you saw him like the type of way he handled or the type of situations that he handled with that decent. And like, he would bring him in and like, you know, tell him this isn't that whatever, but yeah, I mean, it's undeniable the type of talent. He is the type of way that he could, you know, I feel like people, uh, the way that because of his attitude and stuff like that, people didn't never really, or don't really talk about how much of a, uh, a game changer he can be. And I think that kind of happened even as, as dumb. And I said this before, as dumb as this is, as much as, uh, as, as ridiculous as it is, people, you know, how, and I said this before is that people have said, done that with Bryce Harper, right? It's like they, they, they don't talk about Bryce Harper the way they talk about like Mike Trout when they should be talking about Bryce Harper the way they talk about Mike Trout. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sometimes it just has to do with the way, you know, people perceive uh, certain people. It's just, and they the tend to forget does. about you. They tend to forget about you mm. when they don't see you every October, too. The That's true. Thing That's Otto true. would have done. Had he came to Chicago, he would have moved Yom Moncada to second base. And you wouldn't have had this issue in regards to filling a boy mm. for who your second baseman would be. Roster think, construction. No one ever like thinks about that. that. I think mm. people were down on that when it came up. And I was I was one of the people like, yeah, Yoan, why couldn't Yoan play second? Thank like you. it was a similarity to what it was going on up north with Javi Baez. It's like you put I know there were questions about that too, but those are guys who could play there. And if you have to do it, you have to do it because at that point you're building something and it's like, this is for the good of the team. And I still have the same question when people were like, nah, you put Yoan at third. I was like, why not put Yoan at second? He is the type of lightning strike who is going to succeed anywhere on the infield. Yeah, That's no, the only it, reason oh. why I think about it, especially mm -hmm. when I see that the team's biggest boys are in or holes rather is a second base and in right field, left field. I'm very mm -hmm. optimistic about Oscar Colas, by the way. I want to put that out there. Just seeing the tape that I see, but at the same time, you don't want to put all the pressure on this young guy coming into the league who has to get adjusted to major league pitching. And it best is probably going to take him a couple of months to do. And the sooner he can get up here, the better it'll be for the team. But even though He'll be up here. You're going to need a fourth outfield. And that outfield that you get, preferably you would hope he's a left-handed back that has some pop. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's you know, one of the reasons why I'm surprised that the Sox weren't more involved with the Bellinger, you know, you know, signing. You know, like I thought, like that would have, I felt like that was a perfect fit. I felt like that was more perfect fit for the Sox than it was for the Cubs because you got one, a left-handed bat. The guy still hits bombs. He can hit bombs. Another power bat, um, and he could play multiple positions. So I, I thought that it was going to be uh, somebody that the Sox could get, but never really heard much from that from that uh, side of things. Uh, but that was a name to keep an eye. Yeah, I'll oh, that's that, that. That is true. That is true. That could He's be a left-handed bat with some pop that's still oh, on yeah. the market, and I would not be shocked if they got. I would. Who, who was that? He might come at a cheaper price. Joey Gallo. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't yeah, like that. that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. On a one-year deal, I can mm -hmm. see it. Because uh, OBP is still king. That that is true. That is true. Uh, but we'll uh we'll move on now to the rest of the league and and uh, some of the moves. We'll finish off by uh going through some of these moves that have happened uh, over the last couple of days at at the winter meetings. Uh, with the biggest one uh, being of course Aaron Judge that just got you know done uh, this morning on we're recording on a Wednesday. Um, and man, first of all, before we, you know, before you say your piece on what you thought about the deal and what you think that, you know, this means for the Yankees, how about that, uh, John Heyman fiasco though? And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I, I'm not gonna lie. I was part of it too, you know, because, uh, I, I got, 
I, I got I as much as or as as soon as I heard you know Heyman you know tweet that out or saw that he tweeted that out, I let you guys know, and obviously uh, it, it didn't happen. But uh, um, it was Aaron Judge going to the Giants, and it was funny. The what makes it even funnier is the fact that he misspelled Aaron Judge. He said Arson Judge, right? And then there's like even there's even T-shirts now with that, and it's like. Uh, it's it's like just a moment in time now. Bing bong. New York can celebrate. Yankees fans can celebrate, rejoice, breathe, um, and hopefully not boo. Aaron Judge, nine years, 360 million. Um, great job. <laughs> great job by the by the Yankees for uh locking him down, not letting him get any get, get away anywhere. Um you, 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 you can't really get that kind of player back. You can't. You, there, there's no player that you can get back uh, like Aaron Judge. Uh, great job. Great job by the, by the Yankees organization for, you know, matching what he wanted. You know, uh, they, gave him a, they gave him $150 million more uh, than what the team had offered him in the spring. So, you know, you know I, I, I think I, I could not see Aaron Judge in another uniform. I think it's good for baseball that he's with the Yankees. Um, could I have seen him going to the Giants? Absolutely. Absolutely, I could have seen him going to the Giants. But his heart is, is with New York. He really cares about this organization. He's proven that he is one of the greatest of all time. He's a pinnacle player for not only the Yankees. He's, he, he's an important player for baseball in terms of making the game popular, getting giving people uh, what they feel is a reason to, to watch the game. I, I think a lot of that comes with having a player in the correct city, in the correct jersey. Um, so that's a great move. That's a great move by them. Now, what, with that signing, the Yankees still have a lot of money that they can spend. There's, there are some things that they have to kind of address still in terms of finishing a season well because uh, because for, for Yankee standards just making it to the to the ALCS isn't enough it's just not it, that's just the truth so you know you, you there, there, are, there are other aspects that they have to address in terms of how they're going to structure the lineup they they're, they're, they're keeping Donaldson around uh, Cashman still has a lot of faith in him whatever sure bro but um, it is more than just signing judge. Uh, now you have to correctly build the pieces around him. I think they made the good first step in terms of bringing Rizzo back, a good buddy of Aaron Judge's. So, um, yeah, in conclusion, great move by the Yankees, but clearly money does not buy you championships. It does not buy you success. It does not make a player better. In a lot of these cases, a lot of these long-term contracts have not panned out very well. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Aaron Judge, but – um, you know, build around him as well. Give him a couple of a couple of other assets in terms of in terms of you know support in the lineup. Um, you know, Yankee Stadium is, isn't isn't exactly a pitcher's park, obviously. Um, but let's see let's see what happens with the Yankees in 2023 and beyond. But that is a major W for New York, for the Yankees, uh, for for that entire for that entire organization to bring back. Judge, um, but there are still a couple more pieces that they have to add if they even want to, uh, if they even want to fantasize about beating the Astros, they have to address that pitching. They have to, because um, if you have Garrett Cole getting hit as hard as he did this year, you know maybe maybe we need a new pitching coach. Maybe there's some sort of analytics that they that they need to stop looking at or look more into. Um, 
But the, the the Yankees still are not a team that I look at and consider um, a top runner-up for a World Series win. They're going to be very competitive, but they are not going to be a team that is going to blow me out the water. I'm not convinced yet. Uh, I've seen this before with the Yankees. Um, I think we all have. Yankees fans have a standard. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what happens. There are a few more pieces that this team must add. Uh, Chris, what did you, what did you think about the, the whole situation? And then just what do you think now that, you know, of course, Aaron Judge is back with the Yankees officially nine years, uh, 360 mil. It's, it's interesting. Not the I'll get to John Heyman in a second. It's interesting because the Giants immediately, or if not immediately, they had a deal probably in the works to get Mitch Hanniger already, which is a brilliant yeah. move. Um, he is a guy who can succeed, really, really succeed there uh, because I think he's he can hit the ball the other way, if I remember right. And anytime you can hit the ball into that right center field gap in San Francisco, you're going to, you're going to have some success and he can still put the ball in the stands. Uh, But I think the Yankees, it's, it's like we were talking about right offline. The Yankees could not afford to let Aaron judge go. And it's such a weird position having lived with the truth in our lives that the Yankees are going to find some way to spend enough money to compete for a championship and they, they have, but they haven't gotten to the championship. And recently they haven't been able to get out of that initial round of the playoffs. Um, and the initial rounds of the playoffs as it expands are taking you further away from the championship round. That Yankees debacle at Fenway in the playing game last year was probably the lowest those cats have felt in a long time. So they spent as much as they needed to to keep him situated in right field for nine, at least at least six of nine years to come, and they couldn't afford not to. So good. I have to say it's a good deal for them. They've already put pieces in place by bringing Anthony Rizzo back, but Judge was the centerpiece of the offseason. And they, they, it was, it's weird to say that they made a good deal when there was some desperation behind it, but they, they had to make the deal and they did. San Francisco put a lot of fear into uh, some Yankee fans. And I expected that I, I did because they had money to spend. The fact that he's a California native and grew up a Giants fan. I expected for him to, listen to their offer and take it rather serious. When I saw the Heyman report at first, I laughed because I know he's very quick to news, but a part of me just couldn't believe that he actually signed with the Giants because I've never known the Yankees to ever lose out on a star player that they grew and drafted that rose to prominence in that organization. I just I, I didn't I didn't expect him to take that long. So when the news cleared up and it was reported this morning that he had signed for nine years, three hundred sixty million dollars, I'm like the evil empire is back. They struck again. <laughs> this is what they do. Love him or hate him, they weren't losing that guy, and they couldn't afford to lose that guy. And the fact that he turned down four hundred million for ten years from the Padres, I think what that should go to show people is that money isn't everything. You know, you look at California, they're subject to the highest dock tax in the country at 13.3%. New York-based athletes pay 10.9% state tax. You add all of that into the amenities 
that New York offers him from an off-the-field standpoint, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. San Diego can't offer what New York can. And either way, he's going to be taxed high for his income. So he could get the $40 million that he lost back and off-the-field endorsements and stuff like that. It's not a problem. I just hope that the Yankees seek to build around him better and I and I I I I look forward to them getting a little bit greedy. They need to, especially with what transpired in the LCS. They get mopped off the field by a dominant Houston team that sent them home quite a bit over the last several years. Yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think like they shouldn't, and I don't think they will rest until like they're able to kind of like exercise those demons of the Astros. Right? It's like. Once they, once they're, once they're, you know, once they take down the Astros, I mean, it'll be like insane. And I, I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, next year, whatever, but I think it'll happen eventually. And I think the Yankees are going to be, they're trying for it at least. And, and I will say too, but that, that I've, I've said this and I've said this for the past couple of years now when people have talked about, oh, where Aaron Judge going to go? Where's Aaron Judge going to go? I always thought that regardless of how you feel about the Yankees, that, it baseball's great when like baseball's good like it's the best version when the Yankees are good and and elite and they have elite players like Aaron Judge and and you know obviously like I said but I've said this before where you know it's better when you know they're they're villains and you don't like the guys Aaron Judge is not that that type of guy you, he's a guy you can't really hate uh but at the same time as elite as it gets you know and he should be in, in, in you know, in the Bronx. I, 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 as cool as it would have been for him to go to the Giants because it's, you know, hometown team and all that is one thing. Cool. But I do like to see a guy like Aaron Judge stay in in New York. So, uh, but kind of a good segue to uh, kind of what, uh, what Gabe was talking about when it comes to taxes and all that. Uh, uh, Texas uh, signed Jacob DeGrom. And I think it's one of the main reasons why some some players actually, you know, want to go to Texas. I think that helps them for sure when it comes to, you know, making deals when they when they got Marcus Simeon um, and Corey Seager. Uh, but, yeah, they, they got their guy, though. Jacob DeGrom, five years, 185 mil. Um, I will say this. Um, I, that's I, 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 w- I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I thought that the, the Mets were going to make a more of like a better run at him. And it looked like they kind of just were like, eh. He he picked their t- he, you know he picked the, the 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 Rangers. I don't even think I think I heard that he, he that the 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 Mets didn't even get a second uh, uh, offer to him. Like I think that he just took the, the the or he heard the Rangers one, took it, and that's it. Uh, so I don't know. And I think the, I mean, and a lot of people again still saying the Rangers are not done yet. Uh, there's I mean because obviously they still need pieces out there, um, and. Uh, they still need plenty of uh, spots to fill in that roster. Now, I'm trying to figure out with the Rangers, is this their way of trying to become competitive? Is this their way of trying to, you know, kind of kind of make a statement in the in the AL West? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think I think they still have a lot to address. Remember, this team, uh, this team is coming off a 68 and 94 season. Um, you know, and finishing in fourth place in the AL West, uh, with really the only competitive team in that division being the Houston Astros, who happens to be, in my opinion, the best assembled team currently in baseball. 
it's going to take a whole lot more than Jacob DeGrom to, to, to turn this around. Now, they do have great other pieces, um, you know, in, in terms of Marcus Simeon and, and in terms of Seager as well. There are there are pieces there that that they can that they can work with very competitive pieces that they can work with, but uh, I think there's still some development that they you know that they have to do there. Um, so I'm curious as to what other moves are going to be made. Um, you know I think I think you know player players uh, such as Bubba Thompson still very young you know kind of you know give him some time to develop uh, Ezekiel Durant give him to some time to develop as well, but. The Rangers did make a splash with Jacob DeGrom, and I think that that, that is a move that is going to benefit them going forward. I just hope that they add more pieces because he is not the only answer. It's going to take a whole heck of a lot more, uh, you know, kind of retooling for this team to become competitive. Um, I think the Rangers' home stadium as well is also very, very hitter-friendly, so... You know, let's see how this pans out. I, I, I think I'm still going to give them kind of around like the B range in terms of grading them. Great move for them, but they're still probably about four or five moves away from even kind of, you know, kind of making some sort of noise in that division. But, you know, unfortunately, that is still the Houston Astros division, um, and that is the Houston Astros division to lose, not exactly the Rangers to take. So let's see how that one pans out. Yeah, I mean, obviously – you know, as you said, this is one of your uh, one of the one of the guys you hit on uh, with the, with the whole uh, you know predictions. So uh, yeah, what what do you think about the deal? And then uh, just overall with uh, Degrom and, and the Rangers. Well, to add to your point, Texas has no state income tax. Yeah, there you go. Somebody you know who covered the Rockets in Houston for several mm-hmm. years. I, I saw a lot of guys want to sign their free agency as a result of that and the lifestyle and, and living in Texas and so forth. So. I, I'm not shocked at all because the Rangers are hell-bent on getting two top-of-the-line starters in the free agency market. They have not hit that. And I think pairing a veteran like Jacob DeGrom with Martin Perez, who's an all-star season ago, and that they signed to a short-term contract extension, I think having those two in the mix makes their rotation stronger. But then you add another arm, such as a Carlos Rodon, who they talked with immediately following the DeGrom signing, up next to Kumar Rocker, who people forget was a top five draft pick, inserted mm-hmm. his name back into the draft a year ago after not signing with the Mets, who took him in the top 10 2021. Like that, it, it, it's going to get scary. And then you got Al Lighter's son over there as well. Mm-hmm. Who, who's a future ace. Like, I, I, I've been paying attention to Texas for a while. They got mm-hmm. a rich pipeline that they're growing in their foreign base and stuff. And they got him is to be the face of the franchise, to be their ace, show them young guys how to work. And having him next to a veteran manager and Bruce Bochy, I think is going to be nice and incredible to watch unfold, no matter how things play out in the AL West. I don't think that they're the top team in the AL West by any stretch. I think Houston and Seattle are the top two. But they're damn sure going to make it interesting because they want to spend to win. And, and they proved that last free agency. I, I don't think they're done, but I, I understand. And, and from what I heard and from what I have read, talks has stalled between the Grom and the Mets as far back as several months ago when they tried to come to terms on a deal. And it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think both sides got fed up. And I think Jacob knew 
by the end of the year, hey, I'm out of here. I think it's it's interesting for the Rangers because after those years with Ron Washington, they collapsed. Not they didn't collapse quickly, but they fell so hard that they were they were pretty much off the map in the AL West. Um, I mean, coupled with Houston's rise as just a dominant power, probably the dominant power in baseball right now. I think the Rangers one saw that and felt like they had to bring the interest back to themselves because the Astros had been, you know, mired in, in kind of just trying to break down the door while the Rangers had come up and then the Rangers fell back to earth and the Astros were winning world series left and right. So there's that there's, you know, we've got to make sure that we keep our market share. Then they were successfully able to strong arm the city of, of, of Arlington to get that new stadium. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not going to talk about that, uh, but you can have a guy with the guys that, that Gabe mentioned with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker and the guys that they have in their farm system. DeGrom's 34, you know, just over 34, and you sign him to that deal. So by the time that those guys get up to the majors that they, like they expect, he's probably going to be kind of, you know, dropping off of his, his precipice, but Pitchers always know how to pitch, especially guys like him who have been able to succeed in tough situations where they weren't getting run support. So he's going to be able to, if he so chooses, impart that wisdom to those guys who have come up as throwers and teach them how to pitch, be a guy to teach them how to pitch. If they get a guy like Carlos Rudon, who had to come back from so many arm injuries and various maladies, he's going to be able to teach them how to pitch. And then, I want to see, the, I mean, they got Andrew Haney, who curiously had his best season in, in, what, seven years? Very curious. But you have him as a one-year stopgap option. And honestly, as much as I liked him, I still want to see what they can get out of Dane Dunning if they don't let him go. So you have, they are building something, you know, point blank period. They have Adolis Garcia. They have Marcus Simeon at shortstop. They have Cody Seager, whatever you can get out of him and his veteran time. And if you want, you can move him to DH. And then um, the guys that we haven't mentioned that they grew who have started to show something, Jonah Heim behind the plate and Nate Lau at first base. Mm-hmm. So the Rangers are going to be very interesting in the next few years. And even with the, the Astros, you figure maybe they slip one year or if you can just get into the playoffs – it's going to be an interesting division with those teams behind them, the uh, the Mariners and the Rangers, um, coupled with if the Angels ever ever can ever figure the fuck out how to maximize their talent, then you have interesting teams out there. Yeah, and I don't think that, and I don't think that'll ever happen. Honestly, they try. No, they got Lord, to, no, man. They, they have are to. Trying. They are <laughs> trying. Even I, with a depleted farm system, they they traded for Hunter Renfro. Rendon gave him the big money. It hasn't worked out due to health issues. They are trying. I, I have to commend them for trying. If there's a team that needs their owner to sell, other than the Sox, it's the Angels. Because Artie yeah. Moreno is, never mind just getting the wrong guys. What, the <laughs> allegations that came out about their minor league system should have had him, They Major League Baseball should have been like, uh, you got to sell, bro. Yeah, like you can't let that stand. I knew they wouldn't, but they should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, I feel like the Angels always 
prioritize hitting when when that's not really the problem. I mean, and that not to say that they are a, a, like a, a a juggernaut in in offense as much as you have Otani and Trout, but the, the it's still like I don't know why they're they're always signing just you know uh, you know hitters when or, or offensive players when you should be getting pitching. I mean, that's that's always been their main problem in the last like decade or so. It's just pitching, and they can't find anything or can't get anybody. I don't know. Uh, but a story for another day. Uh, we'll move on now to uh, uh, Trey or uh, Trey Turner in the Phillies. Uh, he got 11 years, 300 million, and this is a, another one that hey, we talked about. I mean, I, hell, I you know I, I was pretty confident in this one in general that he was going to go there, um, just because of all the tie-ins and all that, and and they got their man and, and 300 mil, man. I mean, that was that's a, that's you know a lot of people are surprised at the at the year amount. Um, because he's going to be playing in, you know, to, if he stays in Philadelphia for the whole deal, uh, he'll be finishing that that contract at I think forty one. Uh, this is a huge signing by the Phillies. I think the Phillies have been making it very clear during these winter meetings, we want to win. They want to win. Um, Trey Turner, eleven year, three hundred million dollar deal, turning down a larger offer offer from the San Diego Padres. This is shows how much he loves the East Coast. It shows how much he enjoys playing with Bryce Harper. I think um, I don't see a reason why this Phillies team is not going to be competitive next year. I think that they are going to be, you know, kind of right back where they were. It is going to be competitive. I think the Mets are still going to be a competitive team, although they are picking up the pieces a little bit in terms of pitching depth in the rotation, but they've already started addressing that here and there with, with uh, DeGrom signing with the Rangers. So with that being said, I think the signing of Trey Turner to the Phillies is very, very solid. You know, you have Turner, you have Harper, you have Real Muto, you have Kyle Schwarber, you have Hoskins. That's a very solid lineup. So, you know, uh, and I didn't even mention Cassianos, excuse me. Lots of upside here. Uh, lots of speed in that lineup. Very, very mobile uh, lineup. Defensively, they're still, you know, they're still interesting. Trey Turner's never been an elite shortstop. Uh, I don't really think the Phillies have any have a, 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 exactly an elite defender uh, besides Real Muto behind the plate. Um, you know, uh, Harper as well in the outfield. He's also an elite defender. Besides that, um, you know, the Phillies are never going to be a team that is going to blow us out of the. You know, it's going to blow us away defensively but this signing right here is showing that the Phillies are ready to go back to the World Series next year and you know pretty much take it home um a <laughs> billion dollars committed to six players that's that's a lot that's a lot of money uh so you know let's see uh let's see how this pans out I hope the Phillies do have a solid year uh you never want to see this much money getting passed around and you know for these things to to, to not work out but I think the camaraderie is there I think the upside is there. I don't see a reason why the Phillies are not competitive next year and, you know, at at the least back in the NLCS, but that'll – other teams will determine their fate for sure and, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. But that's a, that's a really good signing for the Phillies. That's going to be a very, very competitive ball club going into next year. Great. That's a great deal. Mm-hmm. I'm still surprised that they put up that much money in for those amount of years, which Gabe and I, we got into that long conversation about it. But – Trey Turner is a game-changing type of player, and he's worth it. And the Phillies, they've continued to add. Uh, they they finally got right enough and took advantage of the breaks they got and made the World Series and made it a close World Series against one of the best Astros teams that we've seen in their run of, of, of dominance. They took that team to six and had a good shot to win if they had won game four. Was it game four or game five? I think game five. 
if the Phillies win game five, that game that they lose by a run and, and get the six walks off Verlander, I think they've got a good shot as any to win the World Series. So bringing in Trey Turner, massive upgrade over a guy who I really like in Gene Segura. Uh, you put him in that lineup with Real Muto and Harper. Just see what happens. And, and you've got those guys for at least four years together, if not five. Can't say enough about it. I wasn't shocked that he signed with the Phillies by any stretch. That wasn't a secret at all. I think everybody expected that. But when I saw that contract, I, I was definitely shocked that he got $300 million. I thought it would be anywhere between 275 to 290 More power to him. As Chris alluded to, you know, the man bat plays with the best of them. We talk about a bad champion, a guy that's been there, done that, won a World Series. Hit for the cycle three and times. Right, exactly. You know, not too many players can say that. And when you add all that together with this Philadelphia team that failed two wins short of a title, what better way to send a message to the rest of the league that, hey, we're happy with where we are, but we're not satisfied with what transpired and we, we're going for more in 2023 and beyond. I, I think they sent the message to the rest of the league with this type of move, man. And that National League East, I tell you, it's going to be a, a barn burner with Ooh. Atlanta, the Mets, and the Phillies. That three-team race in the East, that, that's going to be a real fun race to watch from July through September. I'm looking forward to seeing what those teams have to offer. And with Bryce Harper being out for, like, the first portion of the year due to getting that Tommy John surgery on his arm, man – they 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 gonna need a guy like Trey to step up and be ready right away. And I think he will. He provides them that. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, man, how about not having Bryce Harper for a little portion of the season and being bummed out about that? But then you have Trey Turner now. Like, yeah, it, it's almost it's almost not not to say that Trey Turner is Bryce Harper, but I'm saying that you know they might even you might not even notice a difference. Like they might come out strong and and. Uh, and when Bryce comes in, it's just going to pr- propel them to, you know, who knows where. So, yeah, and the division is going to be – the division is nasty because it's it's funny because I keep seeing tweets too from, like, Braves fans saying that, like, even even though they, they got Trey Turner, they're still – the Braves are still on paper the best team in, in the in the East and all that. And it's funny to me because you can make an argument regardless of for all, you know, those three teams like the Mets uh, uh, and all that, especially – after this next deal we're going to talk about, because Justin Verlander signed with the Mets. Um, he signed a two-year, $86 million deal. Um, uh, Gabe, what did you think about that deal? I mean, like I said, th- this th- that whole division you know, is going to be crazy as, as it has been over the last couple of years, but even more so now. And having a guy, I think it was this is going to be just the second time. I, I heard on MLB Network, I think it was, it's going to be just the second time that uh, a rotation features three, or sorry, two uh, pitchers that have won three Cy Youngs. And I think it was uh, the last time it was Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. Now it's going to be Verlander and Scherzer. Justin Verlander clearly has a lot left in the tank. What an incredible year by him. By, by him. 18 and four with a 1.75 year away. We all know how talented we all know that he, you know, in terms of pitchers, he, he, he's goaded. He's, he's one of the greatest of all time. Um, I think this is the Mets kind of compensating a little bit in terms of where they have lost some of that pitching depth in the rotation with the Grom gone, um, you know, Bassett isn't, hasn't been resigned by them yet. You know, I just talked about Tywin Walker going, 
uh, you know, going to the to the Phillies. So, you know, with that being said, you know, I, I think that's a good solid arm to kind of to kind of make up for it a little bit. <laughs> and that's a very sarcastic way of me saying it. That's a great way for them to make up for it. Uh, Verlander still has very electric stuff, very electric uh, breaking pitches, pitches with authority, pitches with command will go deep into games. Obviously, there's questions about his performance during the postseason, but clearly, you know, he, there there are things that he addressed this year and it led him to winning a ring. So, uh, you know, great job by the Mets. I still think they have a little bit of work to do in terms of making up for some of the arms that they lost. Offensively, they're going to stay solid, but they maybe, you know, one or two more arms that can give you quality uh, innings. That would be very helpful for the Mets going forward. But they've taken a great first step in addressing it in signing Justin Verlander. That is a great pickup by them, despite the fact that he is 39 years old. <laughs> so, Great job. Great job by the Mets. Rich, get rich. You know, yeah. Steve Cohen, I think I respect about him. He loses Jacob DeGrom, which I expected him to, but he was going to find a way to rebound. And that's what he did with Verlander. And I, that's why I expected Verlander to go there. With Houston having such a rich pitching rotation, not really being in dire need of his services to the point where they had to overpay. You know, he, he he had a chance to walk, and I think he's in a, in a real nice spot. If he can continue to stay healthy and build off of what he put together at the age of 39, going into his age 40 season in 2023, the National League is going to have a problem. And I think it provides him with a challenge, too, considering the fact that this will be his first time pitching in the National League. So I think he he's looking for a challenge to keep it going. And I, I, I like the one-two punch a lot. I like the one-two punch a lot. I like the other addition that they made acquiring Jose Quintana is a, is a third or fourth guy. I, I can't knock it. I can't knock it. I can't say that I was too shocked. New York seemed like the place for him to be. And the Mets had to do something in the wake of the DeGrom news. So acquiring Verlander, that that hey, that goes without saying that was a must-have. I think. This this could go this could go two ways, which is a fairly it's almost a very redundant statement. We saw what what Justin Verlander was last year, but he's still he's gotten a year older, and the Mets are known for making those big time deals that flame out on them. So if it goes mm-hmm. right, if it goes right, then they're set for this year and possibly the next, because you have those two guys at the top of the lineup, and even in you know. A, a time where pitching, starting pitching, doesn't have the same exact impact as it does. The Mets are just trying to get back to the postseason. They're trying to get back to the postseason where your starters can have that decided impact, especially guys who you can trust to go six in the playoffs. So I think Justin won out here because he's got the, he has, he has, he has carrying the torch for bag Twitter right now. 86 mil for two years is wild, is still wild in a time where the dollar doesn't mean as much, is not as worth as much. But damn, that's a big money deal. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's worth it. Um, I hope he succeeds. I hope, it's, I hope it works out for the Mets. I really do. But he could have a very, very down year. And then you're looking at one year left and, and making the choice whether to buy him out or, or kick the can one, one more time and hope that a 39-year-old is as good as he was at 36. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, I definitely think he's going to be, you know, continue to be successful. And it's just, his stuff is just too good. And I mean, the guy's, he's Hall of Famer. So, uh, moving on now to uh, Mitch Hanniger to the Giants. And I, that was, this was a deal that, um, some said one, it was either one to pull in judge a little more, or it was, uh, I guess you could call it a backup deal as much as, much as uh, Mitch Hanniger is a great player. Um, and I feel like they got him on discount, right? It's like, you look at the, the money they got him for. It was three years for a uh, 43 and a half mil. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen the, the type of player Mitch Hanniger is in Seattle and what he brings to the table and, and in, in more ways than just his offense, you know, I think it's a great deal for the Giants. And I think you mentioned it before in the way that he's a gap to gap uh, hitter, Chris. But what what did you think overall on the deal? Uh, and what do you think it means for, for this Giants team moving forward? Um, I think it's it's just a quality deal. You get a guy who's Mitch Han- who's steady in Mitch Hanniger. He has been talked about so lovingly by not just Seattle fans, but I think the players up there too. And, and you're adding him to a roster that was impressive. They're two years off of winning. God, what was it? How many games did they win that year? Was it 102? It, it, the the year that... 2021? Yeah. Yeah, coming out. Oh, of, yeah, it's like 103, 103, I believe. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that was just a shock. So you're adding him to a lineup that is still two years removed from that, even though there's been changes. So without going into too much detail on it, uh, I just think... Any team that gets Mitch Hanniger for that price, I think they prop they might have considering the market, they might have underpaid him. Mm-hmm. They might have gotten him for a steal because he's getting less than 10 million a year on that deal, depending on how it's structured. Uh, average annual value is less than 10 million a year, let's say that. So I think it's a good deal for the Giants. Um, if people were were willing to pay him less, then good for Mitch Hanniger. I think he's gonna go there and make noise. I don't mind the move from the Giants at all. They had to spend that money somewhere. And to get a serviceable outfielder when healthy, because that's always been my number one concern with Mitch Hanniger is his health. When healthy, he can be one of the most productive guys, gap to gap. And I think it gives them insurance out and left because with Jock Peterson coming back now, you can slide Jock into that DH role and allow his bat to be more serviceable for you. So I, I like the move a lot. And I, I believe that it could be a deal if he stays healthy, could be one of the biggest steals in all of free agency because he's always been fairly solid when healthy. It's just been the injuries that he sustained that's kind of had his career up in limbo here and there. But three years, 43 mil, to add him with this team that Gabe Kapler has, who won 107 games now that I have it in front of me in 2021. Oh, damn. Man, like, you know, you never, you never, you never know. And I don't think the Giants are done. I just don't. I think that they're going to try and make a move for one of these top flight shortstops and add more pieces to a team that has some young talent on reasonably priced deals. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think, I think the Giants for sure, they're, they're kind of like, um, I feel like they're kind of like the Cubs in that respect, in the sense of like they're finally this is the the off season where they're you know gonna you know go off it and kind of spend more money than they have in the last few years. Um, and you know we'll see some of the players that they had in that one hundred and seven win team kind of re- regress a little bit. What what you know, but 
I, they're still young, so who knows, right? They could they could come back to and find that you know that groove. So we'll see. Um, but the last deal, last deal I wanted to talk about was also one that just happened today, and that's uh, Wilson Contreras going to the Cardinals. And uh, you know, as I said to open the show, um, it, it's not not something I I didn't see coming, but uh, now that I see it, and uh, it sucks that he had to go there. I knew that you know I was cool with us not resigning him, but I'm like. I was really hoping he'd go to the Astros, uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh it's it is what it is. Five years, eighty-seven and a half million dollars. Uh, Gabe, what, what what do you think about that deal, and and uh, how big is that for for a team that just lost a, a Hall of Famer, uh, who Yadier Molina is you know obviously retiring. So what, what what do you think about that deal? It's a huge move for St. Louis, man, to be able to replace a Hall of Fame catcher and Yachty Molina with Wilson Contreras, a guy who knows the division. I know it has to be familiar with that pitching staff that they have there and guys like Adam Rain, right, and such. It's a good move. It provides them with stability for the next several years, and this is a team that year in and year out, they're like the San Antonio Spurs of baseball in, you know, the early years of the Greg Popovich era. They always seeking to compete. They always seeking to win. And they're not hesitant by any stretch to spend money. And you really can't confuse them with being a small market team, even though they reside in a small market. Nothing small is is in St. Louis when it comes to the Cardinals, in my opinion. So I, when, I, when I look at the move that they made, it, it, it's, it's solid because it provides them with stability behind the plate and his back plays and – who knows, as he gets a little bit older, he's expressed that he's willing to play a little bit of outfield. That could help them down the road if he's willing to really do that. I, I don't mind that deal at all for the Cardinals. I, I think they got the catcher that they needed and the catcher who helps them usher into a new era of Cardinals baseball with some faces such as Nolan Arenado and the National League most valuable player, Paul Goldsmith. For Cubs fans, um, we can throw up. This is this is as bad as th- this. Doesn't feel good. It, it feels good in a sense. You know, we're happy for Wilson. Uh, he he deserved he deserved a good deal. He deserved some sort of max deal. Um, you know, I, I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be more happy for Wilson himself. Um, I had the honor of watching his last home game at Wrigley. What an emotional moment. He truly loves Chicago. Um. But the, the the Cubs had other plans. Now we have to watch him. <laughs> we have to watch him hitting the same lineup with Arenado and Goldschmidt. That's really really scary. This is going to be a ball club that is going to be very difficult to play against. You have an elite catcher behind the plate, an elite third baseman, and an elite first baseman. Best of luck to you. Um, do everything you can, and on top of that. These are the Cubs' rivals. We're going to see a lot of Wilson Contreras uh, still. Don't worry, Cubs fans. But it's not going to be the kind of Wilson Contreras that we're going to want to see. But you know, this is uh, this is what the, this is what we're going to have to deal with going forward. I want us all to be happy for him. Um, Wilson deserves it. Shame on the Cubs management. Shame on the organization. Um, once again, we 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 let we let another key asset of a player uh, get away, and this is where this is where I I wonder what exactly 
the Cubs want to do to address the catcher situation. Now, the catching market right now in Major League Baseball is not amazing. It's not. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard I've heard little things here and there that they want to sign a couple of mediocre players. If, if we are trying to be competitive, if we are if we are trying to be a, a competitive team. I don't understand why we don't sign a player like Wilson Contreras. I don't understand why we don't keep a player like him. Um, are, 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 are we making room in terms of in terms of our farm system? What are, what are we doing? There, there there really isn't a catcher that I could think of right now in the in the Cubs farm system that that is ready. There aren't there aren't a lot of players in the in the free agent market that I look at that can really give us a competitive edge. Yeah, so I'm sorry. It hurts, man. Um, I know it hurts. Wilson Contreras is one of those guys that I had learned to love to hate because he was always out front talking. He would talk to you, talk at you, yell at you. He wanted to fight. He was down to, he was down to throw hands. And I think that's going to make the, the Cardinals more formidable, just replacing that locker room clubhouse voice more so than what he could do with his bat or his arm on the field. And we know that he's still a guy who can uh, shorten a running game as, as diminished of importance as that might be nowadays. I think it's, it's still important to have a catcher who, you know, can stop base stealers or make them at least think twice or, or thrice, especially in this age of reduced pickoff moves. Um, but yeah, replacing that locker room voice that Yadier Molina had, um, even in the short term, is important. And I honestly, I was kind of surprised. I didn't think that Contreras was going to get that lucrative of a contract at this point. But maybe that's just from seeing that the Cubs were were kind of moving forward on him. Because he was a guy, since he came up, I thought was too important for them to let go. Um, and even if they are saying that they were, you know, going to reduce spending, I figured that he was somebody that they were going to keep around as a cornerstone. I, I suppose there's something in terms of marketing in moving on from a group that you've had in the past and, and allowing the fans to move forward and embrace uh, new players in the scene. But it was, it was just surprising to me the way that they kind of diminished his importance, I felt like, in their team structure. So... For him to get 87, it was 87 and a half from the yeah. Cardinals. I was kind of surprised to see that number. But I think that St. Louis is going to be better off with it. He doesn't have to be a top three option in the batting order because you have Arenado and you have uh, Goldschmidt. So I, I think, if not flourish, he's going to be successful. So again, I apologize for your loss. <laughs> and actually, you know, yeah, and that, you know, Gabe reminded me that uh, with with the uh, speaking of saying goodbye to players, um, the, you know, I should give you guys uh, this this time to, uh, to you know, to say goodbye to uh, Jose Abreu, you know, uh, to officially, because we, have, we you know, haven't that talked was, about that. That was good, so, man. That was, that was cold. Yeah, no, 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 I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a sentimental segue, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> so, so you know, if you you know, if you guys have any words for uh, for Abreu now that he's on that Houston Astros, uh, you can say them now. 
Well, of course. I mean, how could you not miss him? He's one of only four players in the history of the White Sox organization to win the American League MVP award, even though it was in a shortened season in 2020. The the games that he had that season were very legendary and helped a lot of White Sox fans, I think, including myself, get through that pandemic, even though we weren't able to be on hand for those games. But, man, he just was the true testament of a leader. And we we White Sox fans have been fairly fortunate to have solid play at first base over the last 30 years with Frank Thomas, Paul Pinerco, Jose Abreu. He upheld that tradition. I, as much as I look forward to the Andrew Vaughn era, and I knew, and I know rather, that this is the business of baseball and it happens, it's unfortunate that they couldn't really build a winner around him to make life a little easier for him. I can understand why he made the move that he made, not only from a business standpoint, but for a chance to win. And I, I wish him well, but it is unfortunate. And it's goodbye, but it's not goodbye forever because it's going to come a day where the number 79 is going to be retired and that statue is going to be put out in the outfield. So that'll be a special time. But I can understand why White Sox fans are reeling from that because you don't just replace guys like Jose Abreu. You know, it was many days I went to the ballpark and I saw that dude busting his tail off with a messed up hamstring, still running full speed, playing every day. He took, he, he went to work no matter the situation every single day and gave it his all. So much respect to Jose. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I told, I was going to make a video and I kind of let it slide by because Jose Abreu personally meant more to me than any White Sox player has since Frank Thomas. Uh, he just did. He he made himself a good defensive first baseman, if not great, good. He came in the first season and his metrics were down and he worked his ass off to get better in the field. There was nobody that I saw that was more reliable at turning that 3-6 double play than Jose Abreu. Like he knew how to throw behind runners going down. And that's in addition to the fact that he was the most clutch guy that we've seen in the late innings on the South side of Chicago in years. Um, I, I wanted to, there's, it's hard to find. It's really hard to find because it didn't mean that much, but there's two Jose Abreu moments that stick out to me. And the third, that's an honorable mention. Uh, the honorable mention is really, uh, it was reported that when they made the playoffs in 2020, uh, he was in the clubhouse saying, it's like, I made it, I finally made it. And we felt, Sox fans felt that. We felt that because we, they brought in this guy as a big money signing to be, you know, to be a part of the franchise when they finally got to be that good. And it took so long. It took six years yeah. to get to that point. And in that time, we saw him mash. You know, even when he didn't have as good of a season as he did in his rookie season, he was still a, a welcome contributor to a team that was also ran. But that also ran team got, he got, he helped us get revenge for Jeff Samarja being trash and put up the cycle on him. And that just for me felt so good as a person who not only was so disappointed in what Samarja did coming in and being like, oh, I grew up a White Sox fan and then proceed to stink it up. But for me as a hater of Notre Dame, that felt extra good. That felt <laughs> extra good. And then 
not, you know, you would think it would be the year he had in 2020, the, that ridiculous series against the Cubs when nobody was hitting you, Darvish, and he did. It wasn't that. It wasn't his. Um, I'm not listening. <laughs> it wasn't any. It wasn't his home run against uh, Detroit to to walk off a game. The Sox had a game in Boston, I think, in 2018, and the, I, I relish beating the Yankees. Right, I relish beating the teams that I remember the Sox not being able to beat. I relish when they beat the A's in Oakland. I relish when they beat the Yankees in New York. But there's something about winning in Boston that just feels the best to me as a Sox fan, almost, um, almost better than beating Cleveland or, or Minnesota. And I hate Minnesota, but me too. The Sox, <laughs> I just hate it. But the Sox have, have always had, she seemed to have trouble in Boston. And I think just those Fenway fans, they feel it more. And it was evident because they had a game, they went into the ninth down one, and I can't remember who they got on or how. It might have been a walk. But Abreu came up against Matt Barnes, who wasn't a premier closer, but he was just a guy who, who could get outs because he had that blazing fastball. And Abreu took him out damn near to the sit-go sign over the green monster. And it, 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 was, the, it was the first time in a long time that I can remember. You know in baseball where you just you, you can see the moment happening and you wish for it to happen knowing that there is like, at certain times, there's a 1% chance that it will happen. And it happened. Just, he gave them the lead. Barnes knew as soon as he hit the pitch, he was like, every, there was just an, oh, like the air went out of that ballpark. And that was what Jose Abreu, at his best, meant for the Sox, who had been a team over their entire history that was a part of baseball. That was what they were. They were a part of baseball. They weren't a part of baseball history at to some degree, but they were just a part of they were they were there. And he made them more than just being there. It was like Jose Abreu was must see TV. He was a guy who was like, oh, Abreu's up. Let me check out, see what might happen. What might happen? Because he gave you that sense that something great could happen when he was at the plate. And so more than 2020 or 2021, I think that's what I'm really going really to miss. We're seeing that possibility with Vaughn. We're seeing that possibility with Jimenez, Aloy, and, and Luis Robert. But what he meant to those guys and what he meant to the fans in the stands won't be replicated. With all due respect to the guys who have come up before him, all of those guys are separate. Frank Thomas, Dick Allen. Harold Baines, Canerco, they each meant something different. And Jose Abreu, his meaning to this group of fans will not be replicated. And that's what I'm going to miss the most. And he sure as hell helped build that Cuban pipeline connection back in a way that I don't think that the White Sox organization has had it since the days of Minnie Minoso. You hear guys like Yoan Moncada, Luis Robert talk about that and how much that meant to be not only Cuban-born players, but Cuban-born players on the White Sox. And he he bought that here. He he bought that here. He really did. And that that's something that will forever be tied back to him 
I feel. I think that's a pipeline that can continue because Marco Patti has done a tremendous job in the international scouting department and is set to receive an award for that today at the winter meetings in San Diego as we record this. But yeah, like he 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 does have an impact on the franchise that cannot be replicated. I, I do agree with you there. Really not much to say about this one besides um the Astros still feel like they aren't good enough. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, Yuli Gurriel becoming a free agent, 39 years old. Jose Abreu coming off of another solid year offensively, and he is so great at first base. Not much to take away here. Just, uh, just the, the Astros were already incredible, and they just became even better. So, <laughs> you know, best of luck to that entire division because the Astros are not going anywhere for a very long period of time. They have a young talented core surrounded by a lot of veteran talent to continue to make these young players better who have proven themselves over a span of two to three years that that's incredible there are you know how many players we see have a great first year and then the the next the next two three season it just it, it just blows up in their in, in our faces this is not the case with the astros they have young players who are continuously performing every single season Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, the list goes on and on. There's players I didn't mention that we all know, but the list goes on and on. The Astros are going to be very, very competitive next year. I don't see a reason why they don't go back to the World Series. I really don't. That was the best pitching performance I've ever seen during the playoffs in my entire life. And then they just got better by signing Jose Abreu as if as if they they as if they needed more. They would have been good without him, but now they're gonna be better with him. Yeah, and I mean I, I always thought about Abreu too, like like that in the, the way that he uh he was able to make the postseason with the Sox finally and, and it, it was it's just so cool like seeing, you know, uh it's almost like with Reese Hoskins too, just seeing guys that have been there for a while, seeing like seeing the team lose, right? And then being there as a winner, it just like means that much more to them. And it's cool to have that connection from like the last team or the last uh, um, or those last few teams to now. Right. All right. But uh, but moving on uh, from the signings and all that, uh, you guys got uh, got into a good conversation last night. Uh, we were in the group chat talking about, you know, the the way the contracts are and, and, and you know, whether they were, you know, some that are, you know, seem too high or some that are low and it's just like the fluctuation of either or, but uh, it was really interesting as to, uh, you know, where, where you guys thought about that. So I wanted to get you guys' opinion on, on, on just in general with the contracts and where they stand as of right now with the market as it stands right now. Uh, I think it's, it's something that people should understand because um, especially in a, in a, in an organization with such a, a weak labor for not a weak labor force, a weak labor union comparatively Mm. to other sports. I think people should understand when they see these millions of dollars and they grumble, 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 grumble. It's just not worth as much as it was. Everybody knows you go out and you go to eat. You see the fact that chicken wings cost $17 for six and they used to be like 12 or something like that. So these million dollar contracts aren't worth as much as they would have been in 2012 you know 75 million dollars just doesn't mean as much so it's think keep that in mind not just when you're watching baseball i would say keep that in mind when you're going to the grocery store keep that in mind 
when you're at the ballot box. Keep that in mind when you're choosing who to support and what you're talking about in terms of unions and and non-unions. Keep that keep that stuff in mind before you think about calling into Dan Bernstein and, and getting and getting worked over because you saw somebody getting eighty million dollars. Yeah, that that's well said, Chris. I agree with you on that. And then the other thing that people don't factor into it is when you get that type of money, you're in a different tax bracket completely. And you get taxed at a special rate that most people don't. So even though you have that money, you're not taking home all of that money. And I think that's the part that everybody loses sight of. Yes, they file taxes just like we do, except on a higher scale. So they're giving up way more. And understandably so. I'm not saying that they they shouldn't. We all we all have to do that. But you know, they don't take it all home with them. And in states like California, states like New York, states like Pennsylvania, who tax you like 3.29% just for playing games there as a rolled opponent. Um, you know, you have to keep those things in mind. Uh, but no, yeah, you guys you guys made some good points though, for sure. I mean, that, that's something that People, I feel like it's not talked about enough, right? Because people just kind of like, they kind of like glaze over it. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm one of those people, right? Where it's like, I just look at the deals and I'm like, oh, wow, it's just it's just the way the market is. Anyway, back to the next, you know, it's just like the way people look at it, but it matters to, to more than just baseball. And it matters uh, to to a lot of things. And it, and it also matters to the players because of like we talked about which state you're going to be playing in um, is a big deal. Uh, so um, it is it is uh, good to hear what you guys think about that. And, and I think it'll, for sure, um, enlighten people to what they, you know, with the way the market is and what they should be thinking about instead of just the player going to a team. Uh, it's, it's way bigger than that. Uh, but I think it's a good part, a good uh, place to uh, wrap it up for this week's edition of the At Bat Baseball podcast. Uh, with the winter meetings, you know, still a few days uh, left in the winter meetings. Uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty to talk about next week. Uh, so I want to thank, um, thank Gabe and Chris for joining me this week. Um, I know um, I want to thank Miles as well for chiming in uh, via phone and uh, we'll uh, hopefully have him for next episode and hopefully everyone enjoys their week. Yeah, I missed it. Miles is going off today. Man. <laughs> <laughs>